have been excited about this series all month long, and today we get to end this series, and I was here as with you as we got to begin it, and now I get to end this series with you. Um, this month, we have been focused on the 22 times that Jesus used a phrase in the New Covenant, and by now, you're very familiar with what that phrase is. It was just on the screen. The phrase is, Jesus said, follow me, and I'm going to be totally honest. I have not always followed Jesus um, as a Christ follower, and I certainly haven't always followed him the way I follow him today. I did grow up in church. I was one of those kids who grew up in church. My parents had me at church all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, lots, um, and then I always did as a child this thing called VBS, um, and at VBS, I remember very specifically, we had just moved to Little Rock from Fayetteville, and so I knew nobody. I was super, super, super shy, and my parents dropped me off at this little country church in Little Rock um, where I knew nobody. My sister knew nobody, so that's not a great environment for me, but it was VBS. And so during this VBS, um, at one point uh, during one of the, the days, I can't remember which, um, I was looking around and everybody beside me was standing up and they were walking down to the front. So I was like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. So I did too. I was in the third grade. I wanted to uh, just fit in. So I did that as well. Turns out that was everybody who wanted to be saved, who wanted to make Jesus the boss of their lives. Well, that's not what I was doing, but I went ahead and went along with it as well because I, I just didn't know how to get out of it at that point. And so um, I, I got baptized. I, I just did everything. Now, let me also let you know, I also, uh, because I had been in church so many times, I had heard so many of the Bible stories, so many of all of that stuff, I knew a lot about the Bible, um, and I knew a lot about this uh, person named Jesus, and I knew that he died on the cross, and I knew that he rose again three days. I knew all these things because I had grown up being taught those things. Um, and so, you know, I, I had all this information, but I, I want you to clearly know I was not making a choice to make Jesus the boss of my life, even though I knew what Jesus had done for me. And even though I went through all of the things, uh, you know, baptism and all of that, and I knew all the information. In fact, in Sunday school, um, I, I, uh, we used to play a lot of games, uh, uh, you know, questions about the Bible stories that we were learning. And my team would always win because I had been involved in church since before I was born. Um, in fact, I want to say my mom had to leave church uh, the night I was born so that I could go be born. <laughs> so, um, so I had been around church a lot. Now, let's flash forward now several years to high school. So I'm in high school. I still knew the answers when we played games in Sunday school about Bible trivia. I still knew the answers, and I was still a pretty good kid. I had not really rebelled. I, I was a, a pretty good kid. I, I remember specifically my youth minister at my church in Little Rock um, asked the entire group to write down what we call our testimony. In other words, how I, uh, just my story of how I came uh, to the point where I was a Christian. And so we're all writing at that point, and I sit, I, I put the first word on my paper, a capital I, because I'm about to tell the story. I, so uh, I did this, I did that. Well, I only got the first word down, and suddenly I, this overwhelming feeling of, I have nothing to write. I have no story to write about how I became a Christian because in that moment, I suddenly realized I was not a Christian. I knew the answers. I knew things about God and about Jesus and about Scripture. I knew those things, but I had never come to the place in my life where I had submitted my life to God's care and control. And we can only do that through a relationship with Jesus. I had never done that. From that moment on, for the next year, every time I was in church, I had the same feeling. 
Every time, at the end of every single service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every single time, I had that feeling of God saying, you, are, you have not given your life to me. You've not submitted your life to me. When are you going to do it? And I white-knuckled every invitation for the next year. So if you do the math, that's somewhere around 150 uh, something times, maybe a, at least 156 times, I directly said no to God. I'm not going to do it. And I said no to God because I, everybody thought I was a Christian except me and God. <laughs> we knew the truth. And I thought, what are they going to think of me if now I say, hey, by the way, I really haven't been a Christian, but I'm, I am now. I'm going to be one now. I'm going to follow Jesus now. I thought, what are they going to think of me if I do that now? Everybody thinks I'm a Christian. So I didn't. I mean, uh, at least 156 times, I directly said, no, God, no, I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid what people will think. So let's go now towards, uh, let's say the summer, a year and a half-ish later, I'm not sure. So I've been telling God, no, 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 no. And every time we went on a retreat, every camp I went to, I was just saying, God, no, no. And I really felt God speak to my heart. I did not hear it audibly, but I believe it's God's spirit who communicates with your soul. And I believe I felt in my heart God telling me this night at camp, it was not an emotional camp. It wasn't uh, one of those things where they were just trying to add numbers and numbers and numbers and say things to make it happen and pull the emotional heart strings of teenagers. None of that was happening. But I very clearly remember God speaking to my heart and saying, Harley, you have been telling me no and no and no. And I'm calling you one more time. And if you don't step over your pride and follow me, Harley, your pride will take you to hell. And it's not going to do you any good there. I clearly remember that message settling into my heart. And it was at that point that I stepped over my pride. I just laid it to the ground. I humbled myself. And at that moment, I submitted my life to the care and the control of Jesus. And I've been following Jesus, not with the label of Christian, which is kind of what I had before. I wasn't, but I'd put on a label and pretended. That moment, I became a genuine follower of Jesus. And I've been following Jesus since that day, and certainly not perfectly, if anybody knows me, if anybody has seen me drive, if anybody has seen me drive in Little Rock. No, you know, it's not perfect. And honestly, I, the worst of my failures in life have happened since that moment that I became a genuine follower of Jesus. But when I have fallen, and it's been often, when I have fallen, Jesus did not kick me out. He didn't turn me loose and let me go. His spirit was working in me, as we talked about last week, working in me to lead me away from that sin that I had fallen into, that I had chosen. Fallen's a bad word. I had chosen my way into. And he led me out of that. He does every time I do. He, he still does to this day. Each time I make a choice in my life to do what I want to do instead of what God's plan is for me, I follow my way instead of his way. God's spirit keeps turning up the heat in my life. And he turns it up until I eventually humble myself again, admit to God my sin and my failure, and, and he helps me get back up out of the mud, as we talked about a couple months ago, and I continue then to chase after Jesus. And he never kicked me out during that process, and he won't. And today, I truly am a follower of Jesus. I'm not just wearing that label. I, I am actively still imperfectly following Jesus. 
And 22 times we find Jesus saying in the new covenant, follow me. And we've been using one of those 22 examples every single week of this series in Mark 1.17, where Jesus said, follow me. But each week, if you've noticed, you've noticed we have stopped short finishing that short little verse every single week. But today that changes. We're going to finish the verse. We're completing the verse. And in doing so, we hope to give you the entire scope of what it really means to follow Jesus, what it's really all about. And our hope is by the end of the day that you will be uh, through what we're going to uh, communicate and how we do, that you will have a complete picture of what Jesus is saying when he says, follow me. So in Mark chapter one, verse 17, the Bible tells us, this. It is written uh, by Mark. We really, scholars seriously believe this is the testimony of Peter being written down by Mark. And he writes, then Jesus said to them, follow me. Now, which is like we said in week number one, the me here is important. It's not about me. Jesus said, hey, I'm the me. Follow me and I will make you, he says. So Jesus, we do the following. Jesus does, his spirit does all the making. We don't have to force it. We don't have to worry about that. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So I am such the avid fisherman. I talked to my friend Ken, and he brought me his fishing gear. So this is where we've been heading since week number one. It starts with following Jesus, but anytime we follow Jesus, it's going to end right here. Fishing for men. See, my job is following him. And in doing so, we could say this, my job is knowing him the one I'm following, which compels me, or I'm sorry, it compels Jesus, his spirit. When I begin to follow him and know him, his spirit is compelled on the inside of me to begin making me, to rearrange me, to renew the way I think and the way I see the world. And it's still going on today. It's happening at this very moment. His spirit is in the process of doing that in my life. He's making me. And ultimately, according to Jesus, he is making me a fisher of men. That's what he's doing. Now, why is this step so connected with his invitation to follow? And the answer is because it is a result of making him known. Making him known. This life that he is allowing me to still live after the point at which I chose to submit my life to his care and control, the rest of my life, according to Jesus, is now about making Jesus known. Every purpose that he has for me in this life, every purpose is going to, this is going to be a part of it. All the things that we have spent this year talking about, we've talked about how we are his sheep. We talked about that, I think, in February. We've talked about uh, how we are his, uh, his fruit. We've talked about his holiness. And all of that is part of his purpose. And his purpose can all be summarized by this statement. I love this statement. It can be summarized like this, knowing him and making him known. The end result of us following Jesus is knowing him and making him known. That's exactly what happened to the first followers of Jesus to those people who were professional fishermen, to the tax collectors, to uh, later the guy that was a tent maker, all of them, every one of them. The result of becoming his his disciple was that they in turn went out and made more disciples 
They made the name of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus known throughout the world. And it's the very same invitation that Jesus has for us. It's the very same desire that Jesus has for us today. It's as if Jesus said, hey, Harley, follow me. And now it's as if I say to others, hey, follow him. He says to you, follow me. And then you say for the rest of your life, throughout life, hey, follow him. Wow. Making him known to others. It kind of just happens. It's not something you really have to force. You can force it, but it's not something you have to force. It kind of just happens. We like to describe it at Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church at Malvern, your daughter church. We like to describe it as an overflow of God's spirit. What he is doing in your life, it begins to overflow. He is making you and his spirit is working in your life. And that overflow, uh, that means that you are then making him known to others, to other people around you. Because as he's making you, that overflow just happened. Changes are happening. And if you're following him closely today, he is also in the process of transforming your desires. And you begin to long for, slowly over the course of time, you begin to long for, you have a desire for other people to hear about this same God who is changing and rearranging your life. And if you're following him closely, he's also transforming your will. What you do, of course, you begin to become compelled to share, to actually share this good news of what God wants to do in their lives because he's doing it in your life. And this good news is all about Jesus. You begin to love others enough that you begin to share that good news, what we call the gospel, with them, even if it costs you. It might cost you some friendships. It might cost you at some point. It could cost you a job. It could cost you even ultimately your life, as was the case for most of the first century followers of Jesus. And every persecuted generation since that point also understands that. It's God's plan. This is so amazing to me. It is God's plan to allow you and me to be a part of his plan. You see, we are eyewitnesses. We are not eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. We have their eyewitness accounts. That's what we teach from on many Sundays. But we are eyewitnesses of another sort. We are eyewitnesses of Jesus changing our lives. Now, Luke records for us, Luke was also hanging around all the disciples of that, that, those first uh, followers of Jesus, and he was there for some of this. He, he interviewed them for some of this, but we have his uh, account of the eyewitnesses, um, and here is what he records in the book of Acts, which is often called the fifth gospel. Um, written by Luke. Here's what he says. But you will receive power. This is, uh, this is, he is quoting Jesus here. But you will receive power. So these are words of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now here's a big point. If you are a follower of Jesus, as we have talked about in this series, then that means if you're a follower of Jesus, and that means you already have God's spirit. And according to Jesus, that means if you have God's spirit, you are now, you can now officially consider yourself called, consider yourself sent out to make the name of Jesus and his invitation to follow him, to make that known throughout the world. As a witness for Jesus, he is calling you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is calling you to be more 
than just nice to the people around you. Oh, that would be important that you be nice to them. But sometimes we say, oh, I just let my actions do that for me. I don't have to use my words. I want you to know the truth. He's calling you to be more than just nice. Come on, we know this, don't we? Really, honestly? Because witnesses actually speak. They don't get up on the stand and pantomime. <laughs> it's like, I was walking down the street. And I came to a wall. No, the, the witness gets on the stand. The eyewitness gets on the stand and they use words. They don't use just actions, which finally leads us to this last step that we're talking about today. This last step of this entire series, I believe that the apostle Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, that he explains it the best. Now, Peter was among those who received that first invitation of Jesus when he said, follow me. Uh, and that invitation that we used uh, the, for this series um, in Mark, and uh, Peter was among them and listened to how Peter himself with his own pen describes uh, now what we are called to do if we're followers of Jesus. I love how he describes this. First Peter, verse 3. We're going to look at several verses starting with 13. Now, Peter says, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Which, by the way, Peter was harmed for, for this, and he lost his life. He died um, because he would not stop telling his eyewitness account of Jesus. So certainly, Peter knows that e evil is going to try to harm you. Verse 14, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats. Verse 15, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. In other words, you living, chasing after Jesus, not giving up when things get bad and when things get tough. When that happens in your life, that's going to make people take notice of your life. And then Peter says, when they notice your life, he says, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So what's the step? This morning, we want you to be prepared to do this. We want you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be prepared with an answer. If someone says, I don't get it, <laughs> I don't get it, what's different? But then listen to this warning that Peter ends this with. So important, verse 16. But do this, in other words, give them this answer, do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will ultimately be ashamed when they see what a good life you have you live because you belong to Jesus Christ. Today, here and Cole and Malvern this morning, we simply want you to be prepared. Because here's inevitably what is going to happen if you are following Jesus the way Jesus has asked you to follow him. What's going to happen is someone is going to notice something different in your life. And it's going to be like, man, something's different. You seem satisfied. You seem content. You seem assured when you shouldn't be assured. What's changed with you? How can you be so content and, and secure in, in spite of the, the fact that this circumstance you're in in life should have your life turned upside down. So when someone sees the overflow of God's spirit at work in your life, we want you to be able to explain why. And here's the best part. In order to do that, in order to explain why, there are many, many, many ways to do it. But in, in order to explain why? There's, this is one way. There's one thing you might need. One verse. 
and just maybe one napkin (laughs) and maybe one pen and one friend and one place sitting at one table. And I literally want to show you how this works. When someone asks you about what they see in your life, if you can find this verse, and if you know just the definition meaning of each word in that verse, and if you have the ability to write it down, then you can, and and if you can add to that, just simply telling your story about you and this experience. And you have what you need. So I know this is going to be different. This is a different kind of Sunday. You don't normally see an easel and a marker and me. It's going to be different. But here's what I want you to pretend this morning for just a moment. I want you to pretend that uh, we're sitting across a table at one of our local restaurants. And you've asked me, dude, I don't get it. What's different? Your life should be upside down. I don't get it. And so I grab a napkin and I grab a pen. We're sitting at the table and I begin to share this. If you're like me, you have sometimes felt a million miles away from God. A million miles away from God. I mean, God's over here, and here I am right here, obviously, after some dieting. (laughs) And it feels like He's a million miles away, and and I feel like there's this great divide, and it makes me feel, if you're anything like me, it made me feel alone. It made me feel stranded. It made me feel hopeless, And, and I want you to know there's a reason why we feel that way, and there's actually a verse in the Bible that kind of describes it, and so that's what I want to share with you. It's in the New Covenant letter to the Romans, and it starts out like this. It says, For the wages of sin is death. That's how it starts out. And we kind of understand it. it, it, I mean, this, this sounds like a mystery, but it's really not. If we just look at these words right here, this word, wage. See, um, we all understand what a wage is. I I go to work, you you know, you clock in, and for that amount of time until you clock out, you are earning a wage. You earn it. You have worked for it. You've earned it. You deserve it. You deserve to get paid that. That that's you. You deserve that wage because you have worked hard for it. You've worked for it. That's what a wage is. But here's the problem. It says the wages of sin. Now, sin is simply anything that I have ever done or thought that is not the way that God would do it or think it. That's a sin. Every time I have done that in my life, and I have done that a lot. So it says the wage of sin, there's one more important word here, death. The wages of sin is death. Now, if we want to study the Bible, we we can go all the way back and we can understand in Genesis, it tells us that that is a direct result of sin, that we will now die. Adam and Eve weren't ever going to die, but after sin, that you're going to die. But it's more than a physical death. Because when the Bible talks about death related to sin, it's really talking about the big picture of death, which is a spiritual death which is an eternity separated from God. See, God is over here, and I'm over here. 
I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. And there's a good reason for that. It's because I have worked for, because of every decision and every thought that I've ever had, that was not the way God would do it. Because of that, I have worked for, I've earned, and I deserve a wage. And that wage is an eternal separation from God, forever to be separated from God. That's why I felt like I was a million miles away from God. And you know what? I, 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 now here's part of my story. I grew up in church. I mean, my parents had me at church all the time, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I was there a lot. When I was about in the third grade, I was at this thing. It was a children's event they called Vacation Bible School. I, I was at this event, and um, everybody went up and stood up at the front, and I joined them up there in the front. I didn't know why they were there. I just thought, oh, now's the time. Everyone, we go up there and stand at the front. Turns out that was everyone who wanted to make Jesus the boss of their life. I wasn't doing that. I just kind of got caught. I went through all the motions. I got baptized and everything. Just that was what you do next. But I never made a decision to submit my life to the care and the control of Jesus. I never did. I was not making Jesus the boss of my life. So this pictured my life. Even at the third grade, that pictured me. I was, I, you know, I. But, you know, God doesn't want to leave us this way. There's, which is great news because that verse goes on. Um, it says, the verse continues, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, this is huge. See, we also know what a gift is. A gift is something we cannot work for. We don't earn it in any way, and we can never deserve it. And here's why that's important. Because if we did deserve it, if we could work for it and earn it, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be a wage. And so there is this gift, this gift. And and this verse tells us that it is a gift that comes from God. The gift of God. Here's why that is so important, because we can't get this gift. We can't work for it. We can't be good enough to get it. We can't live right enough to earn it. We can't. It is something that has to be given to us. And he, God, wants to give it to us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. But what is this gift? Well, it's right here. The gift is eternal life. That's the gift he has for us. Which means... It's the opposite of this death. Death is an eternal separation from God. Eternal life is not just a place landing in this real place called heaven. It's not just that. It is part of that. But the gift is this relationship. It's a living every day with him, with God relationship now and eternally. But there's a problem. Because of this separation, I can't get over here to get this gift. I can't get it. I, 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 I can't get it. See, I have worked for, earned, and deserved because of my sin, an eternal separation from God. And so I cannot reach over. We're separated. I can't reach over and take this gift that God has for me, an eternity with him. I can't do it because of what I deserve and I've worked for. That means I'm in trouble. There's a gift over here, 
but it's way over here. And it feels like it's a million miles away. And the reason I can't get it is because of this separation that I've created between me and God. And the reason for that separation is that is the wage I have earned because of my sin. I deserve that separation from God. I deserve it. It's a wage I have worked for. Oh, I worked hard at sinning. I, I didn't have to work too hard. It came pretty natural. But I still worked at it and did it really, really well. And so I have earned that and I deserve it. And it's separation from God forever. But here's the best part. Because this verse has a great ending. God doesn't leave us hanging. God doesn't leave us hopeless. God gives us a way to bridge this separation. To, he gives us a way to pick up this gift, to receive this gift, to claim this gift that I can't get on my own. And he did it all. The verse goes on through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He did it all. See, the wage has to be claimed by somebody. The wage has to be claimed. It's not going to go unpaid. The wage is going to happen. The wage that we earned and that we deserve is going to have to be claimed. No one ever in the history of all creation has ever walked away from that wage. It is always paid. So someone has to claim that wage, and it's the wage I worked for and I deserve and I earned. And that wage is death and eternal separation from God. Meaning, the wage of our sin, which is death, means someone has to die. And if God has told us that he's going to secure something for the wage of death for the entire world, then that means it would take a really big payment, a really huge death, a really God-sized sacrifice, God-sized death in order to, to receive that wage on my behalf and the behalf of all the world, which is why God himself put on the flesh and he became a man. That's what this is all about. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It would take a God-sized sacrifice to bridge that gap, to take that wage. So unless, see, and, and here's the problem, because God, if God's going to do this for us, God can't die. Nothing created God and nothing can end God. God can't die. So if God was going to do this, something different had to happen. Unless unless God himself put on the flesh, God himself became a man because he couldn't die. If he put on the flesh and blood of mankind, he could die. A God-sized sacrifice for the whole world. And so now with Jesus completely God and at the same time completely man, God who put on the flesh and blood of man for us so he could take our wage, the wage that I earned, the wage that you earned, the wage that all of us earned, the wage of our sin, he took it for us. But that's not the end of the story. See, it didn't end 
with Jesus in the grave because three days later, the eyewitnesses tell us that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do, that he walked out of the tomb alive. He defeated death. He took our death and he defeated it. Why? So we could receive this gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. But you're almost there. We're not quite there yet. You're almost there. See, there's still one word left. It's a big word. Kind of small, but the meaning's huge. Lord. That's how we pick up this gift. We pick up this gift by declaring that Jesus is now my boss that I am no longer the boss of my life, that I am following him. You hear us use some words to describe that. It means that I believe in him. I rely on him. I cling to him. That's what making him Lord means. There's another thing that's involved in this, another picture that's part of this process. How do we express this? Believing in, relying on, clinging to Jesus. How do we express that? From There's a, a way that we kind of word that. It means I'm changing my life from the way I've been thinking, the direction I've been going my way, and I'm changing directions, changing my thinking, going his way. The word for that is called repentance. So we get from here over to here through this thing called faith. And when part of that faith is to repent, that's how we actually cross through Jesus Christ. Our part, his part was the cross and the resurrection. Our part is faith, believing he really is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. And repentance changing from my way to his way. I used to believe in me or somebody else, and now I believe in him. I used to rely on me or someone or something else, but now I rely on him. I used to cling to my way, but now I cling to his way. That's what faith and repentance is, and that's how you cross over. I remember, for me, when that happened, I was in high school and my youth minister asked all of our group, he was like, tell, tell me your story of how you became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And I want you to write it down. I began to write it down. I got the first word, which was a capital I. I was going to tell my story. Well, I, and here's what I realized. I realized I had no story because I had never done this. I mean, I knew information about Jesus. But information doesn't get me across here to God. I had never done this. I had never done this. See, Jesus had done his part. I just had never responded with my part. I knew I had nothing to write down. So from that moment on, you would think that I would be like, oh, okay, I'm not a Christian, so I need to be a Christian. Well, I, I didn't do it because I was too embarrassed. So I, what, what are gonna, people are going to think of me? If I do that now, everybody thought I was a Christian. What are they going to think if I going and and admit that I wasn't, but now I am, and go get baptized again? What, what are people going to think of me? And so I was clinging to my way. I was like, no, God, no, not going to do it. What might people think of me? And I told you I was in church for so, so often, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every single time the church gathered, I felt God saying, you need to submit your life to me. And every single time for that year, which is at least 159 times, I directly said no to God. God, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm afraid of what people will think. So God, no. I'm okay just pretending. No. 
for the rest of that year, it was God saying, follow me, and it was me saying no. And after all that time, I, I remember very vividly, about a year, year and a half, I'm not sure, later, I remember God speaking in my heart and saying, I didn't hear it with my ears. It just was this impression that settled into my soul. And I believe it was God's spirit speaking to my spirit deep inside. And I believe God was telling me this, Harley, you have rejected me over and over and over again. But I'm going to call you one more time. And if you don't step over your pride, your pride is going to take you to hell and it won't do you any good there. At which point, I threw my pride to the ground and I humbled myself. And in that moment, I submitted right there my life to the care and the control of Jesus. And I've been following Jesus every day since then, not perfectly. Oh, goodness, not perfectly. Honestly, my worst failures have happened since that day. They've happened on this side of that connection with God, but he didn't kick me out. In fact, when I fail and when I fall, when I make choices that are not the choices he wants, no matter how severe they might be, and there have been some bad ones, he didn't kick me out. Instead, he kind of turns up the heat on my life to the point where eventually I humble myself again and I admit to God that I have failed, I've sinned, and he helps me back up out of the mud to where I can once again get up and chase after Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. I would love it if you would come to church with me Sunday. I'd love it if you would just sit beside me at Stuttgart Harvest Church or the church in Malvern. And friends, there you have it. All you have to know is your story. And all you have to know is one verse and the definition, which you already know, of just a few words. And you know how one way, there's so many ways to do it. This is not the only way. But we could not end this series without giving you at least one way. So you are prepared to answer the question, dude, how do you have hope when your situation appears to me to be so hopeless? With these simple steps, with one verse, with a few definitions, you can walk somebody straight to Jesus and explain why your life is different. That's it. That's the invitation that Jesus recorded 22 times in Scripture when he said, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. God's plan is this that you follow him, he's making you, and you are making him known. Two questions for you. Are you ready to overflow? The next question might be more important. Are you overflowing? And if not, why? As a step this week, we're going to ask you to do something that's a little different. In fact, it, it, it could seem a little scary, but we're going to ask, ask you, would you, you might need to listen to this again, possibly um, watch it again off Facebook Live, I don't, I don't know, or YouTube. But would you consider practicing this with a close friend, someone you trust? Because like Peter wrote, he said, be ready. Be ready. 
For when that time comes, would you just practice with a friend, which will help you get ready for when that time comes. And once you're a little more confident, then just maybe, maybe you could invite somebody for a cup of coffee for a Coke for my favorite, the cheeseburger, and get busy fishing for people. When you follow him, you get to know him. And then, as you are, as you're doing that, then make him known. So let's be ready. Let's be ready to make the, G, the, the name of Jesus known to your family, to your friends, to your coworker, to your supervisor, to your boss, to everyone you come into contact with. Be ready. Let me encourage you in this. Continue through. Just kind of push your way through a day or two days, three days at a time, whatever it is for you, through. Colossians that we're walking you through with the 42 days of Jesus. Don't give up. Push your way through, even if it takes you all the way through the end of this year and into next year. Don't give up. Don't quit. Because in that process, you're going to be knowing him. And he's going to be changing you and rearranging you, and your life is going to begin to overflow. And you will be ready as that happens to make him known. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that you not only didn't give up on me, but God, when I have failed, you did not kick me out. Peter understood. He may not have known everything that was coming, but he knew it was getting rough and he knew it was getting difficult and he knew that following you was going to ever increasingly lead to suffering. And Peter said, don't give up. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And in doing so, if somebody asks about the hope that you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Because if people do speak against you, they'll be ashamed eventually when they see what a good life you live. Not because of who you are. Not because of anything good about you, but because, only because you belong to Jesus Christ. And to that, we say thank you, Jesus Christ. Amen.